Well, good morning, Harvest, and as you're grabbing a seat, please grab your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and turn to Mark chapter 14, and if you forgot your Bible today and need to use one in the behind the seats there, I believe we're on page 851. We've got uh, four Sundays left in our series uh, through the Gospel of Mark, so we're getting there, and as we get started, lest you think I'm trying to be some kind of funky old pastor um, I wore my snow boots this morning and forgot to bring my shoes, and uh, so I am in socks. Um, that's literally the reason we say, come as you are, so this is how I came. Um, so <laughs> we're going to dig into God's word here. Um, Mark 14. It's Friday now. It's Friday in uh, Mark chapter 14. Um, it's about 1 a.m., at verse 53. It's 1 a.m., middle of the night, and all of that means that in about 14 hours, Jesus is going to breathe his last human breath on the cross. Uh, We are in the last hours of Christ. Um, Last Sunday, we were in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and the 11 that were there. It was an intense Sunday. It just was in that passage, just an intense Sunday for me, for us as a church going through that passage, and it talks about how Jesus began to be greatly distressed and trouble falling on the ground. And there he is in this amazing interaction between the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus, and the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, having this conversation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of the things that was brought up, one of the things that was talked about there that we saw was basically Jesus kind of before the Father. Is there any other way this thing can happen? Can this go down any other way. And uh, the conclusion is no, this is the way. Uh, God in the flesh coming in, taking on our sin, becoming our sin is the only way. And in Gethsemane, really our souls are in the balance of everything. Um, (laughs) The battle for the soul of man was lost in the garden of Eden, but in the garden of Gethsemane, it's taken back up again. And we're in this place where we're now just leaving Gethsemane. Verse 42, chapter 40, 14, or Jesus says, rise, let us be going for our betrayer is coming. Uh, by the way, our savior is not some wimpy dude. Our savior is going to the cross. And we're going to see even more of that as we hit into that today. It's to the cross. It's to the cross. Verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Jesus is all alone, but not deterred. Even alone in persecution does not stop him. Alone in mocking does not prevent him from doing what he's about to do. He's about to go to the cross, and that's my Savior. God, I just pray as we dive into your word that you would show us more of you. We just sang about you the glory of you, the grandeur of you, the grace of you. And Lord, on a snowy day, I just pray we would see more of you here in the text. Blow us away by you and you alone. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's pick up verse 53, Mark chapter 14. You there? By the way, this stage is cold. 
<laughs> Verse 53, here we go. And they, and they led Jesus, so they're leaving from the Garden of Gethsemane. They took him and they led Jesus to the high priest and to all the chief priests and to the elders and the scribes. They all came together. Verse 54, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fireless pause there. Kind of grab a hold of what Mark is doing. Mark is writing and he's putting some players on the field for us here. And we see who they are. We see there's the high priest. We see there's the chief priest, the elders, the scribes. Basically, all of these guys come together. These are all the main leader guys. This is the political leadership of Israel. This is the supposed to be the religious spiritual leadership of Israel. They're all together. There they are gathered together. And also Mark puts one other person on the table for us. And that is who? Peter. Peter's on the table. Uh, We're going to see some things about Peter here, but before we get to that, Mark takes us to these other group, this other group of people here. Let's grab a hold of them. Verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council, that's uh, the high priest, the chief priest, the elders, the scribes, the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. That's not quite true the way Jesus said that, by the way. I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another. He did not say that. Uh, Not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not Agree. Okay, so here's what's going on. The leadership is gathered together and there's this mess going on. Uh, it's sad leadership, it's corrupt leadership, and it's supposed to be spiritual leadership. We're not getting any of that here. I mean, this is a whole sad scenario that's taking place. People are making up these trumped up stories, these false stories, and all for the reason of getting someone killed. Please understand this. It's one thing for people to kind of get together and, and, and be corrupt and, and, and to try and get back at somebody for something. But it's a whole nother thing when people get together and trump stuff up and make stuff up and set someone up for the purpose of killing them. Can we all agree that's a whole different ballgame? That, that's what's happening here. This is a trial to murder somebody is what's really happening here. And by the way, this whole sham of a trial, a few things about this. Back in that day, trials at night were forbidden. About what time is it? 1 a.m. But back in that day, in Israel, trials at night were forbidden. Also, these kinds of trials required two days of court hearings. And they did that so that A night could go by, and then the next day, just time is a tool. Time is not an enemy. And they brought that into their system. Also, capital punishment trials were not to convene on the Sabbath or on a festival. What festival is going on right now in this time? Passover. Uh, One more thing that's going wrong with what's happening here. Plus on that, these kind of trials were to take place in the temple precincts in public. 
This trial is actually taking place in Annas. Annas was the former uh, high priest. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, is now the reigning high priest. It's not on the temple grounds. It's actually over in, kind of in that day, it would have been their mansion compound. And they had a courtyard in it. And all the family uh, lived in this. It was quite a substantial house, uh, compound area. It's not happening on the temple precincts. Lastly, the one who's accused was to be provided a defense attorney. None of that happened. And in fact, what's going on, we have a trial at night. It's taking place in a private residence. The only people who are there are a controlled group of people. It's during the Passover. No defense attorney is being provided. This is an entire sham. And in the reality of it, Jesus is guilty until proven innocent. And know this, the way that we already see this already, there's no way Jesus is going to be innocent in this whole setting. Oh, one more additional thought. This kind of a setting, this whole sham trial, this is like, would be, let me kind of say it, this would be like home for Satan. I mean, wouldn't this not be like a perfect place where Satan would just be like, yeah, this is the kind of, I love to be in shams. Now, here, think about it. Here they are bringing up all of this information. None of it is coinciding. This whole trial is going bad. The information's not fitting together. The, 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 the system is breaking apart. And yet, they have Jesus at a place to where if Satan knew anything about Jesus that was not true about him, in other words... If Satan had information about Jesus that would prove that he was not who he said he was, this would be the time to bring it up. I mean, it's kind of like in a sham situation Satan loves. He's got this whole thing with Jesus there. This would have been the time that he brings information to the table to convict Jesus of being someone who he, who he was not. And he can't. Why do I bring all that up? I bring that up because in this whole thing, all this information is a charade. And the fact of the matter is, even Satan knows who Jesus Christ is. And that's actually very important. Because maybe you're at a place where you're trying to understand the Bible, you're trying to understand all this kind of stuff, and you're wondering what's going on. And I just put out on the table this. Even Satan knows who Jesus is, and he can't disprove it. He can only try and sham it. And I don't mean sham wow it. I mean sham it. Okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 60. This whole thing's going bad. Verse 60. So the high priest stands up. It's going bad. uh, And a good leader, when he sees everything going bad, he stands up and he's like grabs control of it. (laughs) And he's doing what he should here. Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Verse 61. But he, Jesus, remained what? Silent. It made no answer. Jesus doesn't play the sham game. Here's Caiaphas. Question number one. Do you have no answer for these accusers? And Jesus is silent. Just silent. There's awkwardness in silence, isn't there? 
There's power in silence. I mean, here he is before the very leaders of the nation. And they ask him a question. Let's say the high priest, who really is kind of functioning like a king, ask him, hey, I have a question for you. And Jesus is defying him by not answering. Dude, you are one awesome guy to do that. Or a fool. And he asks the question and Jesus is silent. Silent innocence. Silent dignity. Silent power. Silent control. Uh, I mean just silent majesty and say silent deity. All right there in that moment in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. And by the way, Caiaphas is ticked off because you do not not answer his questions. Verse 61, but Jesus remained silent, made no answer. So again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And this time Jesus did speak. I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Let's talk about the second question in this answer here. This this is so cool. All right. The whole thing's going bad. Caiaphas steps up. Hey, what are you going to say to all of these guys? Quiet. And after it's quiet for a little bit, he's like, so let's just cut to the chase. Let's end the sham, get right to the million dollar question. And by the way, the question is the million dollar question today as well. And he asked him, are you the son of the blessed? Are you the Christ? Know this. His question is basically this. Jesus, are you deity? That's what he's asking here. And if you're not sure if that's what he's asking here, watch Jesus, because Jesus makes it very sure what the answer to the question is. He says four things in his statement, Jesus does, that are four deity statements. Follow me with these. The first one he says is, I am. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, that's going to ring a familiarity tune with you. But before I go to there, let me just note this. What Jesus has just done with even that statement and what comes after is Jesus is actually grabbing a hold of Caiaphas's question and he's answering it into the kind of way to where it's like, Caiaphas, what just came out of your mouth, you said it right. I mean, this is just brilliant. He takes it and it's like, Caiaphas, your question that came out of your mouth, you said exactly who I am. So he says, first of all, I am. Now that draws similarity all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. The story, Exodus chapter 3. There, um, uh, Moses comes before the burning bush. 
And he shows this burning bush is talking to him. I mean, does this not sound like a Veggie Tales or like a cartoon kind of a thing here? And his burning bush is talking to him. And after a while, he's saying like, well, but if I go back and tell them like a burning bush told this to me, they're going to think I'm nuts. What do I say? Who do I say sent me? In verse 14, Exodus 3, it says this. It says, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is a deity declaration. And Jesus is is essentially giving an exodus. Yes, I'm the exodus 314 one. Then he goes on to say, I am, and you will see the son of man. We've talked about this term a number of times through the gospel of Mark because Jesus uses it again and again. Son of, back in that day, it meant equivalent of, the same one of. So he is the equivalent one of man, but it clearly is referring to the Daniel 7 terminology that says this, verse 13 through 14. It says, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of the days that's God the father and was presented before him and to him to the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people all nations all languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed I'm that one I am, I am the son of man. And then the text says, seated at the right hand. That comes out of Psalm 110, verse one. uh, Towards the end of that verse, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, My Lord sits next to the Lord. This is also a deity declaration. And then he also says at the right hand of power, the, the term of power right there is used again and again and again and again and again throughout the old, old Testament referring to Yahweh. So what's going on here? Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the son of man, deity, God, Messiah. I'm seated at the right hand of power, God. This Jesus just blew this out of the park and said, I'm deity, I'm deity, I'm deity, I'm deity. Also, if you're trying to figure out this whole Bible Jesus thing, do know this. Jesus never thought he was just another prophet. Never. Jesus never thought he was just like a Moses or a Noah or Abraham. Never. Jesus is making a declaration about himself that he is saying he is the Christ, the Messiah. All of the prophets have talked about the one and he's saying, I am that one. Do you know this? If they were to kill somebody for blasphemy, for proclaiming themselves God, then they did the right thing. Because that's just what Jesus declared. I am God. And to think anything other than that about him is not at all what Jesus thought. And he was either right or he was wrong. And if he was wrong, let's go home and shovel our driveways. Okay? But Jesus is making a very clear deity statement. Yes, Caiaphas, who you said, I am. And by the way, can I note in this, there's no way from this account, from the other accounts in the Gospels, that you get any idea that Jesus is nervous, that he's sheepish, 
that he's trying to manipulate words and the whole sham's going on. He's not like shamming his words, trying to work them to think something, but he's really not. This is just all out on the table, game on. He is the one who is in authority. Caiaphas, you are not in control. John 10, 18 says this, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own authority. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. And he's laying it down. Verse 63. I don't think the high priest is going to like this. And the high priest tore his garments. Picturing this? That's what they would do. Tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? He's saying to this, all of them. And they all condemned him as deserving what? Death. And so some began to spit on him. And some began to cover his face and strike him saying, got that picture? They're putting bags or things over his face and then they're beating him and they're like, prophesy now, which way is it coming from? Wham! And then the guards received him. And how did they receive him? Well, they received him with blows as well. And Jesus is getting pummeled. And by the way, may I remind you, Colossians chapter 1, he created all things, including these ones who are pummeling him. And at any moment in time, at any moment of time, he could have stopped the whole thing and fried them all. They all condemned him. He was claiming deity. And he goes without a fuss, He goes without a fight, and he goes without a fret. Why? Because in Gethsemane, the decision was made to the cross. Verse 66, the focus changes. Changes from the whole setting of the sham trial that's going on and changes over to a scared Peter. Let's take a look at it. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him. By the way, what time, what time is it? About 1 a.m. She looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And so he went out into the gateway area. And uh, my text has, and the rooster crowed. We'll talk about that in just a second. In fact, I'm just going to talk about it right now. And the rooster crowed. If you have the, I have the English Standard Version. If you have a New American Standard Version of the Bible, you'll see, and it says, and a rooster crowed right after the very first denial. Uh, if you have a New International Version translation, it will not have the rooster crowed, but all of us have a notation down to the bottom of the page that some manuscripts don't have that. I don't have time to get into it, but I will tell you this. Whenever you see something like that, it's a reminder of our commitment 
to truthfulness in translation of God's word. I don't have time to get into all that. But I tell you, it's noting here, and some of the early manuscripts didn't have that. Some did. So part of the manuscript question is, is was somewhere along the line, was that little notation added in there that the rooster crowed? So we want to make sure that everybody understands some of that in the historical manuscript of it. It doesn't change anything because I'll say this. When you look further down in the text, it will tell us here in just a minute that the rooster crowed twice. Oh, by the way, you go back to last Sunday or the Sunday before in verse 30 of chapter 14 when they're in the upper room and Jesus tells Peter that the rooster will crow two times. Did you know that? Did you pick that up? It's going to crow two times. And here we have it. Possibly it happened right there. Uh, I'm just noting this because it says, it notes this in your text of this manuscript issue, but I just want to toss this out for you to think. Did you know that the rooster crowed twice? Why twice? I have to answer this by saying this. I'm not quite sure. But could it possibly be, and I'm stating it that way, this is Doug speaking, could it possibly be that a loving God gave him a warning before the end. For instance, I don't know him. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Boom. What if after the first denial, after hearing the rooster, he remembers what Jesus had said to him after the rooster crows twice? What if he could have stopped himself right there? Friends, I bring that in here because sometimes we have the view that God is just off on a little porch all by himself with drool coming down his, his mouth with the Trinity all there together in a rocking chair, totally oblivious to what's going on and doesn't really care what happens in your and my life. Doesn't really care if we go there. It's very possible that in here there are little things that are showing that God is helping his people along the way just kind of like lovingly, just don't go there, just don't go there, just hold, stop it right now. I'm going to leave it at that. That's not the point of the sermon, but it's an interesting possibility. And he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Certainly you are one of them. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Let's talk about real quickly these, each of these denials. First one, verse 68. Peter denies, possibly rooster crows. Then second opportunity. By the way, in the Greek, in the second term there that's used, there's second denial. It has this idea of like he continues to deny. It's just not like a, a, a slip of the tongue. Peter's continuing in the denial, in the covering up thing. And then the third time, verse 71, Peter puts himself under a divine curse. In other words, what it means is it's kind of like this. It's kind of like Peter saying, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. Isn't that interesting? If I'm lying, may God strike me dead. I do not know this man. Third denial. Verse 72, by the way, harvest, do you see the second word I'm about to read? Okay, just to get excited about this. It's the 35th time that we have seen the word now immediately in the text of Mark. 
immediately means that it's like a bam, things just happen right there. We've been highlighting them together kind of in a fun way, but also driving the point home that it's immediately here. This is the 35th and last time we will see it in the book of Mark. So I would love it if on a snowy day, we read this and then just a joyous response together. If anybody's visiting today, let's just cause them nerves uh, with what's going on. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Here we go. And immediately, Bam! the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The rooster crows and Peter remembers. The rooster crows and he remembers and he just breaks. The rooster crows, it's not about the rooster crowing. The rooster crows and that connects something. The rooster crows and alerts him to what? Look at the text. It, it alerts him to what Jesus had said. Listen, what convicted Peter? The rooster crowing? Wrong. What convicted Peter was the rooster crowed and what convicted was the fact that he remembered back to the words that Jesus had said. Point. God's word is always the thing that convicts. You and I, we go around and it's like sometimes we think we can, you know, we can in our real smart braininess try and convince people of what the scriptures say. Listen, God's word is the power. The spirit of God uses the word of God. That's why we're harvest, what, church? Bible church, this is God's word. This is why we study it. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what this has to say. And here in it, what convicts Peter is the fact of what God, Jesus Christ, had already said. And I'll say this, other voices may alert, but it's always the word of God that pierces the heart. It's always the word of God. And here Peter remembers that just four to six hours earlier in the upper room, he had said, Jesus, I will never fall away from you. They may, <laughs> threw him under the bus. They may, but I won't. I will even die for you before I would deny you. Cock-a-doodle-doo, my friend. And then Jesus said to Peter in Gethsemane just a couple hours earlier, Peter, are you asleep? Peter, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Might that have been referring to here? Cock-a-doodle-doo, my friend. Hey, I think we could all agree that this is probably the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest point in this guy's life. Would you agree? I will never deny you. I'm the man, Jesus. Cock-a-doodle-doo. I mean, just imagine the failure. Imagine the embarrassment. 
the humiliation, the total disappointment in yourself. Might I even say the feeling of absolute worthlessness. Have you ever felt those? Have you ever felt those? I mean, just like before the Lord, an absolute failure, worthless, just a fake. Kind of like, you know, I keep swinging, but it seems like I'm always missing. I'm just a sham. I'm worn from failing. I'm just a loser. You know what I'm talking about? Well, please don't leave me up here alone. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mark doesn't include one thing here, and you know I usually don't do this. When we're studying through a book, I'm usually staying very tightly in the book, but I think it's really important here that we get one more piece of information. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Here in Luke 22, we have uh, Luke's account of what we've just been talking about together. Verse 59 actually picks up right before Peter's third denial. It's right between the second denial and the third denial. Well, let's pick up there, Luke 22, verse 59. Right before that, he says, but... Peter said, man, I am not. Second denial, verse 59. And after an interval of about an hour, oh, by the way, you know, sometimes the movies, they'll show, because the movies are totally factual all the time. You know, in the movie, you kind of get this idea like he denies and he denies and he dies, denies, and then he's maybe, there's like five, maybe 10 minutes in between. Did, did you see what just was there? There's also like an hour. I don't know between the first and the second, but there's an hour between the second and the third denial. Sometimes time is our greatest tool. And here, and I think Luke puts that in because an hour takes place between it. Peter, couldn't you like stop there and, and get this corrected, man? And, and no, it's an hour. Um, and after an interview, interval of about an hour, still another insisted to Peter saying, certainly this man also was with Jesus for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61. And the Lord turned. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you, Peter, will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus looks at Peter in that moment Right after the third denial, the rooster crows, and probably in the makeup of this house in the court, not the court trial system, but in the setting of the design of these houses back then, it's very possible Jesus was like up on the secondary level area, and they're down in the court around the, uh, out into towards the gateway area, and when all of a sudden, cock-a-doodle-doo, and for some reason, they're able to see each other. 
Can you imagine that? Here's my question. What were the eyes saying? What were the eyes of Jesus saying? You know what I mean? We have all different kinds of looks. We, we can speak right through our eyes. I wrote some ideas down here. here here's some possibilities. Jesus looks to Peter and it's this look of, I told you so. Here's another. You irritating fool. Eyes that maybe are saying, you're such a loser. Hey, we all know those eyes, don't we? You know, whether it's from parents, whether it's from friends, from school, we know those kinds of eyes. Here are some other possibilities. Peter, you bagged me, therefore I'm out with you. I am done with you, eyes. Or here's one today that frankly... I think this is what most followers of Christ far too often think. Peter, get yourself straightened out and then come back. And then I'll think about receiving you when you get your act together. I don't think it was any of those. And far too often what ends up happening is we put how other people have related to us over our life and put those ideas and those comprehensions and those words in the eyes of Christ. And we can't do that. Instead of, I'm actually going to propose that the eye-to-eye look was Peter, you're mine. And I love you. And I've got you covered. Peter, I know it. I get it, Peter. You're a sheep. I'm the shepherd. Sheep aren't too smart. I get you. He had just said earlier in the day, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, I understand this. You are weak. And I love you. And I've got you covered. Do you know those eyes of the Lord? Oh yeah, I remember back there was a day when I, I received Christ as my Savior and I saw those eyes. Yeah, that we need those eyes at that time when we come to the point where, where we receive Christ as our Savior. But hear me on this. I'm also talking about those eyes after that all the time, every day, every moment, every second, all the time. Listen to me. Grace is not earned. You and I can not earn favor with God. To think that you and I can 
That's foolishness. It's impossible. It's impossible. And by the way, I'm talking about earning his favor for salvation. I'm also talking about earning his favor in walking with him. Grace is not earned. Grace is given. Freely. Undeservedly. Otherwise, it's not grace. Peter was brought to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest, and he needed to be in that spot. Because literally hours earlier, Peter's over here like, Jesus, I'm going to tell you, they're going to all bag you, but I got it. And Peter needed to come to the place to where he came to realize, as we talked last week, his unfathomable sin. That before the Lord, he has, is it the worst of the worst? You don't need unfathomable sin if you don't have, or you don't need unfathomable grace if you don't see unfathomable sin. And today in churches all over the world today, they're not talking about sin. And I don't like to go there, frankly. But if we don't understand the depravity of sin, we will never understand the greatness of grace. And we want to be a church that's about the greatness of grace. But to be able to be a church that's about the greatness of grace, you also have to understand the horrificness of sin. But we don't camp there. We're to camp over here with the realization of that. Do you know that the Lord is offering to you unfathomable grace? If you think you can earn it, it's time to come home. It's time to come home to the shepherd of your soul. When the prodigal son asks his father, for his money, all of his inheritance, so he can go out and party. And after he gets, let me put it this way, in a Peter place, where it's like, how many people are going to end up disappointing? How much money, how much stuff is going to end up getting to the point where we realize that it's like, this, I'm just going to say it, this sucks, I need to go back to the Father. Peter needed to be here. He needed to be here. And he needed to be here so that he could see the unfathomable grace of Jesus Christ. Do you see the unfathomable grace? Do you? Uh, I hear someone say, I'm just burning. My wife knows it. I'm just yearning and burning this week for me, for others. Who are just in this place where we're just... Can I ever do anything right? (laughs) It's time to come home. But Doug, you have no idea what I've done. No, no. It's time to come home. But Doug, God can't ever... It's time to come home. To the shepherd and overseer of your soul.
We know the rest of the story of Peter. We're not going to go there today. But Peter didn't get stuck here. He looked into the eyes of the Lord and he came home and he repented. Oh, by the way, Judas looked into the eyes of the Lord and he saw selfish opportunity. Caiaphas looked into the eyes of the Lord and he saw Jesus as a threat to what he could do. Caiaphas's guests looked into the eyes of the Lord and they saw that Jesus was a joke. Peter looked into the eyes of the Lord, desperate. I've got you covered, man. I've got you covered. It's time to come home. Let's just bow our heads for a minute if we could. I just want to take a moment here. And um, well, let me just kind of ask here is just you're just alone time with the Lord. Has there been a time in your life where you have come to the Lord, the overseer of your soul? with eyes like Peter, eyes in need, eyes of desperation, eyes of lostness. The scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the scriptures also say, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. In 1 John 5, it says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Did you hear that? There are those that have the son of God and those that don't have the son of God. And by the way, the difference is an eternal difference. And maybe there's never been a time where you've looked into the eyes of the Lord for his saving grace. And we don't do this very often around here, but I'm going to do it this morning. I'm just going to say, hey, if there's never been a time in your life when you've driven the stake in the ground and you've received the grace, not knowing about it, not grasping it together, but if there's not a time that you know that you know that you know that it began there and you confirmed it, just like at a wedding, making a vow, if there's not, now's the time. In fact, I'm just going to ask if you want, if there's anybody here that would be that, and if not, that's fine, but if there just is anyone who hasn't done that, would just want to come up here and kneel and do that in a very public kind of a way, I get it, but hey, it's time to come home. If there's anybody who wants to do that, just come on up here, you just do that right now. I also want to talk to those of you who have come to Christ. And maybe for you, it's the type of thing to wear for you right now. You are worn and discouraged and hopeless because you've been trying to earn it.
it's time to come home. And I just want to ask, maybe you would want to come and just kneel down up here and just take some time and just pray unto the Lord. This is a face down time. Face down time to look into the eyes of the Lord. He's got it covered. Come home. Come home. Lord, your mercy is unending. Your love never ends. Your grace is beyond comprehension. Oh, to look into eyes like that. To see that look. A look from the eyes of a face that had been beaten. The eyes of a face that had been spit on. To look into the eyes of the one who went to the cross to pay the price that we might be joined back with you in relationship with you, fully forgiven, fully redeemed by the work of Christ. God, I pray that those eyes would draw. I pray that those eyes would hold us. And I pray we would yearn to see those eyes every day. home with those eyes the shepherd and overseer of our soul Mm. you are amazing